Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Mystical Motherhood Podcast. My name is Chelsea, and I have written three books under the alias Pritamatma, Mystical Motherhood, Fertile, and The Alchemy of Becoming. My newest book will be coming out this year, and I'm excited to do a lot of podcasts on that. But in the meantime, I wanted to talk a little bit about since it's January and everyone's probably thinking, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to get healthy, I'm going to stop drinking, all these different things, I can do a entire podcast on the integrative medicine approaches to these, um, you know, weight loss and, and food and healthy eating. But I wanted to first look at eating disorders. And I know many women, most women have some sort of an eating disorder, whether body dysmorphia or bulimia or not eating enough or confusing allergies with healthy eating. There's a lot of ways it can it can play out. And in this conversation, it I listened to it and I never really do that and it was incredible. We really went into her history of bulimia, but then we went into different patterns and how lying and dysfunction can go into all parts of your life. So if you're a mother and you found that you've gained weight or you're not a mother, it doesn't even matter. You don't have to be a mother to be listening to this. It happens with every woman all the time and men too. Um, Listen to this podcast. She talks about how you can heal. We both talk about how to heal from overeating, from binging, from looking at yourself in an unhealthy manner. Now, from an integrative medicine perspective, if you're overweight, you can't handle this. You need help or you are binging and eating and addicted and and you're feeling neurotic and you're having anxiety around things, it does help. You need to go get help. And this isn't medical advice, but I am a medical practitioner, but specifically isn't, but I have worked with many patients on weight loss and healthy eating and getting their vitamins in check and their body back. And myself, I've done it for myself and for many people, but there's some tips and tricks if you go particularly to an integrative medicine facility that they can help you with. You know, if you are binging and purging your food, there are medications that can help you get, you know, stop and groups. And, you know, SSRI such as Prozac can help. There's a drug called naltrexone, low dose naltrexone that I've given many patients. It's very low dose, 3.5 milligrams. You can ask a practitioner for it. And that can help with weight loss, it can help with anxiety, it can help with addiction, it can cut your addiction to drinking a lot of wine if that's a problem you're having, which is all connected. If you um, need to talk things out, cognitive behavioral therapy can really help. Uh, A lot of yoga, movement. I think I'll do an entire podcast on the different nutrients that you need to refill your body with. If you have restricted yourself, thrown up for years, you need probiotics, you need magnesium, you need a a good multivitamin, you need vitamin D, you need a good complex, sometimes methylated B complex, depending on your genetics. Now, these are all conversations you can have with your medical provider that knows this stuff, that's educated in integrative medicine. But for now, I just want to get you thinking and then I'll start talking about that in further podcasts in the future. And if you have any questions, reach out to me at Mystical Motherhood on Instagram or on my website at www.mysticalmotherhood.com. Now, in the meantime, I have my friend Meg on and 
she and I dive deep into her history of having extreme bulimia. And, you know, she is a beautiful LA mother who healed. She did. And if you can heal from, you know, binging and eating, binging and throwing up six times a day and working out three hours a day, and then, you know, having how many, I think she has her master's and she's, you know, she's a type A and she healed. You can heal too. So let's say you're in a depressive state and you're overweight and you're maybe you're eating too much or you're going on the other side of it of eating too little. You need to get to the root cause of what's going on in your family and what happened in your childhood. You can always reach out and work with me at www.mysticalmotherhood.com. But go ahead and listen to this incredible podcast where we dive deep into the healing process and the, you know, things that come up along the way. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Meg. How you doing? Hi, I'm good. Good. It's good to see you. Can you remind me the name of the organization that you are working with for a long time that you help so many women? I was volunteering with NIDA, National Eating Disorders Association. And can you tell, I was thinking, because Omega's my really good friend and we help each other through so many things. And I wanted to have her on to talk to you. She's been on before, but I want to have her on again to talk to everyone about like what this organization is and like body dysmorphia, overeating, addiction. I'm going to do, try to get another addiction, like another addiction specialist on, but I want to talk to you. Like, how did you get into that? What's the story? What, when people call, what do you say? Well, I mean, my own, my own personal history, um, is pretty probably unfortunately common amongst women where I, never had a conscious memory of loving my body. I've always grown up, grew up hating my body and, and, um, and food was always used as an incentive or reward or punishment. Um, and uh, I was on a diet for most of my childhood and that all sort of culminated into me developing bulimia, um, when I was 17 and for me, that was a coping mechanism to sort of get me through my, my college experience. I was a collegiate athlete um, at a top university and just had a lot of anxiety and fears and, the, and no tools to manage it. So I did it through binging and purging um, every day, all day for five years. And um I guess what sort of helped what happened with me is I graduated college and sort of lost all of the, I had my identity of as a student athlete for my entire um, life and that no longer existed. So I really just lost everything. Um, and at the time, something innate in me knew that I wanted to have children and be married. And I just knew that I could not do that if I had this addiction. Um, Cause it was an addiction. I stopped, I used to be able to control it and I stopped being able to control it. And so I 
was fortunate to where I was able to immerse myself in a treatment program for two months and really relearned how to eat and made, um, I went to um, OA meetings. So I did the 12 steps and I really committed, I want to say the next five years of my life to this abstinence program. It was very rigid, but it's what I sort of needed to get out of the binging and purging. And that helped me to sort of develop a sense of self, create an identity, create passion or figure out my passions and purpose in life. And that sort of is what started me on my healing journey. And, um, and from there, I was able to kind of, you know, go back to graduate school, make a career, meet a part, meet a life partner, um, get married and have children. Um, so I'd say the initial rigid approach of to get rid of the bulimia was helpful. Um, but at the same time, even after that, it was such, such a journey and a roller coaster. Um, you know, I had an extremely extravagant wedding and even though all of my history and all of my past and all the knowledge I had was not about dieting, I certainly went on a massive diet before my wedding and restricted. I, I never broke my abstinence in terms of purging, but I certainly, certainly went into restriction. And, um, and then sort of as that was serving me, the over-exercising, the under-eating in my life and in my professional life, um, it stopped serving me when I started on my fertility journey. And, and that sort of sent me into more um, spiritual and energy healing. And I realized that I really had to let go of control again. And in reality, my body... I needed to sort of stop exercising, gain a little bit of weight and, and, and in order to get pregnant in order to carry my children. And, um, it was difficult from age 33 to 39. I'm now 41, but from ages 33 to 39. So I'd already had 10, 12 years of recovery under my belt for those six or eight years of childbearing years, I wasn't fully comfortable in my own skin and sort of avoided mirrors and didn't really post for photos and, but sort of just knew innately that this was just how my body needed to be in order for me to have my children. Um, and then I, I, my, my youngest child is just turned two. And I feel like for the first time, literally in my life, my body is just my body and it's, it's where it's supposed to be. And I eat, I eat when I'm hungry. I stop when I'm full. I don't count calories. I exercise when I can, I don't over-exercise and I just feel really comfortable and confident in my own skin. Um, and I believe what, what helped me get there was, um, when I was pregnant with my second child, it was in during COVID. I I was fired from my job and had some family um, family drama going on, and um, really wanted to kind of focus back on 
my foundation and my purpose. And I feel like part of my purpose is to help other women. And so I, I never even heard of Nita, even through all of my recovery journey, never even heard of it. And I just literally found it online, signed up to be an, uh, chat an online hotline chat person and went through the training and just really fell in love with the organization and it was in a way, especially during COVID, it was a, a nice way to connect with others. Um, and I'd say because of the, the purpose of the hotline was to really, because I'm not a trained professional, it, um, it was more so to just give information because what I learned is there's not a lot of accessible information for what I believe to be a very common problem um, amongst teenagers and not just women. I mean, men too, or boys, boys and girls. Um, I often would speak with um, or chat with, I'd say, you know, average age was like 15. So some 12 year olds, some, some people like texting me in between classes. Um, and, and that felt nice. <laughs> So when, so do you think, I have so many questions. Um, where do I even begin? First off, you think, do you think motherhood was what healed you? Had to, you were forced into like changing, right? For fertility, yeah. for, for your, what's interesting about it is probably, I know my mother caused my eating disorder Mm -hmm. And your mother caused your eating disorder. So it's a motherhood thing. And I don't know if like she's directly caused it, but I had, my mom told me once, you know, I wasn't after you were born, I stopped eating to lose weight. And I realized that for five days you were crying, just my mom, because you weren't getting any milk because I stopped eating. And that was like, oh, there wow. it was like from the moment I was born, you know? And so yeah. I was like, I was thinking with my daughters who are eight and nine, I don't see any, they don't, I don't see any issues with their perception of their body. You know, I don't see, I don't think I don't see it anywhere. Like I don't even, I'm amazed by their like just love for life. And I, I at their age, I was highly conscious of what I was eating by eight. I knew what to eat, not what to eat. You know, I knew I was almost dieting by eight years old and mm -hmm. gaining weight and losing weight, which was like not in my profile. It didn't make any sense, right? So it's like, where was right. this coming from? Well, I know where it was coming from. And I look at my daughters and I'm like, I think I did it. I think I've, I think I freaking lifted it. Now, <laughs> I the most important question out of all of this is how do we not pass this shit on? Yes. Go, I think for me. Megan. No, I think for me, <laughs> that was my motivation. I mean, the irony is, yeah, I mean, the irony is too, I was convinced I would have sons. I thought for sure I wouldn't have a daughter because I had such a tumultuous, awful relationship with my mother and she had an awful relationship with her mother. And, um, and now I have two daughters. Um, and for me, I always said it's such a female um, trait to only start to take care of oneself when you're trying to create another human being. You know, I was forced to eat when I was hungry 
when I was pregnant because you literally cannot survive. Like I remember almost passing out one day when I was working and thinking I'll power through for another hour until I eat lunch. And then it's like, no, 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 there's someone else in my body and I need to take care of her. And, and then for some, I think because of all of the history of yes, having a nutritionist at age 10, knowing that I was different or being told that I was different food always being so distracted by food at lunch every day I would just strive I would wish that my mom would give me the Doritos that my friends had you know and then I would spend all lunch period and afterwards wishing I had was able to eat those Doritos and and I realized how much of my energy mental energy went into the food and I knew I just, one, I didn't want that for my kids. And and two, I didn't want that for myself anymore. And yeah. So how did you, when you like, so how did you ha- make those thoughts stop? That's a really good question. I think. When was it? I remember we did a, we did a. What we, we did a healing. We did, we a, did healing. a healing. We did a healing with me. You. Yeah. For me, I, I, I it was Kundalini yoga that lifted yeah. it one day, like all of a sudden. I had issues around food and then I didn't, but I have to say post-divorce, I did gain a lot of weight. So I was, I was like compensating for maybe all the years of just holding back. I don't know. Uh I think I was protecting myself. We always gain weight when we're like getting attacked and I was getting attacked. So now it's evening out, but pregnancy brings it up. in a way that's unheard of because you feel so out of control and your body's not in your control anymore. So when was the moment in time that you had a breakthrough from those thoughts? That it was literally, I mean, I know exactly when it was. And when you and I were doing an energy healing session, I was in my old house in the room that would be my daughter's room. Um, I wasn't pregnant. I had been several years of trying and failing and I'd been doing Western medicine hormone treatments, which just gave me zero energy and made me gain a lot of weight. And, um, and I just, we were, I think it it was the culmination of the work I'd done in the past, getting through the addiction of the bulimia and then working with Kundalini yoga and meditating every day and really working on my overall energy and mindset and then doing energy healing work with healers like yourself. And um, I believe that was in like, I want to say January. And by that April, I was pregnant with my daughter. And it was difficult. It, it wasn't difficult to eat. Like I was able to eat when I was hungry, when I was pregnant. But it was really, really hard for me to, to be in my in my body. And, you know, I never really, you know, I'm... I never really um, enjoyed the pregnancies, Um, but I think because my purpose was greater and I knew I didn't want those thoughts. Like I truly believe that when, when your baby is growing inside of you, she is hearing everything that you are thinking and speaking. And, you know, I really just made a conscious decision to stop beating myself up in my head and to just let go because I, I've had experiences where letting go of the control has given me what I wanted. And, and I think just through 
through my life experiences and then through the work, that's how it happened. But it wasn't easy. And then it's funny because with my second pregnancy, I told myself in between my first and second pregnancies, I told myself I would um, really like embrace the second pregnancy and not worry too much about the weight gain and, and, and not worry about my body. And it just, it happened again. And that was okay. And I needed to give myself grace. Um, I got bigger with my second pregnancy because one, it was three weeks longer. And, and two, I just was sort of in a different place and not really, not really able to do any type of exercise because I was um, just going through a lot. And, you know, and I give myself grace because it's okay. It's like, yeah, I've had two pregnancies and I'm not, I didn't love them, the pregnancies, but I love my babies and what's great. And it's beautiful, especially, I mean, they're both, you know, they both eat wonderfully. Um, I, you know, through different baby groups and listening to different podcasts and, you know, obviously having friends like you with older children, I learned to just try and give up the control over it's like you know if grace sat down for dinner one night and didn't have a bite of dinner i was fine with it and um you know she's she's four and a half now and she can have half of a cupped cake and and put the other half down because she's full when i was a child if there were sweets anywhere i ate them up whether or not i was full and i just feel like that's you know what something i wonder yeah, I wonder if it's so with my girls, I don't if I don't push them to eat like and one of them, they're twigs and I, I don't push them to eat, you know, and mm-hmm. a lot of times when I was little, they would make me eat because I was so skinny until the point I would go home and throw up. Mm-hmm. And this was not making my you know what I'm saying? This was right. they would make me eat to the point that I'd have to throw up. Wow. And I was thinking how quick because they were like you have to eat you have to eat you're so skinny you're so skinny and then they it was such funny programming like and you think about all these things that parents do because they think it's the or family this was my grandma because she just was like eat the chicken you know and she was just at the, the clean buffet, plate you know? club right that's sort of like how the late 80s were it's like you got to yeah. clean your plate it's yeah it was clean your plate and now it's sort of like these kids are not going to starve we're doing our best and Oh my gosh. But I do think you can pick up on the neurotic energy around you. Like they, my kids tell me a story about some kids they know that aren't allowed to eat any colored foods. Now I know all of this stuff around like the dye. I read the books, I've written books on it, but you can't get to the point where you're like trying to control everything because you're going. So then these little kids that their mom doesn't let them eat the dye, they have stashes of dyed candy everywhere in their room. Yeah. And, and I, I asked my daughters, I said, so do you think these children are going to rebel? And they're like, what does rebel mean? And I explained, I said, well, when they're older, they're going to sneak out and they're going to get, you know, and then she's like, absolutely. Yeah. And she's like, cause they have to lie to their mommy. And they can't tell yes. the truth. And I was like, you're geniuses, you know? <laughs> oh, they are, though. And I think, I mean, that was me. So I, I feel I was different than you where I was always a little overweight. And I say that in quotations because when I look at photos of myself, I just was sort of like not a twig, you know? 
I also developed, um, I had an underactive thyroid at age 11. So like there was like a medical thing going on with me, but um, I do not have a conscious memory of food just being food. But the underactive thyroid, that's because you weren't allowed to speak with your mom about anything. You know, your mom would shut you down, controlled you when you, so I don't, if anyone's listening, that's not aware of this. Binging and purging is an act of control and rebellion within your body. It's an act of getting control of your environment and feeling like you're in control of something. And it's violent. And it's, it's violent hurting yourself. Towards yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And so basically, and working out for three hours, you know, viciously, incredibly, but not in a loving way, it, it can be an act of violence. Um, and if drinking too much alcohol and, and, and death by partying yeah. is another act of violence. And so there's many acts of self-love and we learn them earlier. We learn them late. Some people are still learning, you know, all the time, Yeah, but it's not just about the body, which I think I called you the other day. And I was like, I, it, it isn't just, I mean, we always think of self-love as like acts for our body. Like it is these, it is really back to Maslow's hierarchy, back to mystical motherhood, where you follow mm-hmm. the very basics where you have to have safety, you know, uh, your, your house has to be in order. You have to have your food needs met, but then it goes into self-esteem with acts of kindness of, will you let others abuse you? Will you let others control you? Yeah. Which we know examples of this, you know, controlled and manipulated by certain energies in your life where every light worker, every human that's of the light will actually, I see it and see it and see it and see it with women is like, there's a graduation process and yeah. one of the parts of it is really fighting a deep, dark, narcissistic, selfish human. And it tends to be like a power struggle between a male and a female typically. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it with almost seeing every single woman that woman that has to come truly into her power to know that power doesn't come from fighting with power. Power comes right. from surrendering into the heart. And there's and it's a process that so many women are going through. But also there's a power struggle with food. Like yeah. It's, it's sort of like when you stop trying to control it, it just lets go. But I want to hear about the time we were in the healing and you said, and I remember you called me, you're like, it worked, whatever it's yeah. like it snaps, we snapped it that day. What yeah. did it say to snap it out of you? I mean, I remember, I felt like you physically, like, cause we, I mean, it was over zoom, but I felt like you were pulling it out of me. Like I was like gagging. You started like gagging something. I yeah. remember that. And I think, cause I mean, just to, for other relevance for my story is my father was also a major player in all of this where he had an eating disorder both my parents were functioning eating disorder like walking versions of different eating disorders but my father was the one that his weight would fluctuate and I he would weigh himself every day and yell at the scale and and he would have me, I know, I remember this recently where I think I was like 11 years old and he had just got like a big weight rack for his gym at the house. And he had me waking up with him at like 5.30 a.m. to lift weights. And he wrote like a weight, like a routine for me because he thought like my arms were too flabby. Like literally, I just, it's funny, these memories, right? So I feel like, and that's, and then when you did the healing, I was still working for my father. And so I feel like, and that became my power struggle. And he became sort of my, 
narcissistic um, demon or sociopath who I was fighting with. And I guess I was trying to control. And when I finally just let go, you know, shit got real, but then it got way better. Um, But you just, I think you just said like, this isn't serving you. This isn't serving you. You need to, it's, you really helped me see. I never thought I was a control freak because I'm not, I mean, I'm type A and that I'm a high achiever and I, I am early to places and I get things done on deadline and all that stuff, but I'm not type A in that, you know, my house isn't immaculate. I don't have everything, you know, I don't know. In my head, I've never really thought of myself as a control freak. And so I think that's where you've really you really helped me see that a lot of my actions, even outside of the food, were controlling, trying to control my husband, trying to control my father, trying to control my friends, and trying to control my body. And I think when you helped me see the bigger picture, because I always thought it was very just like specific about food and body. And when you helped me pull the lens back and see that it was the bigger picture and that it's just everything and that this control is not going to help get me my baby. Um, that's what really kind of snapped me out of it. And, and you, I remember there was a conversation we had and, and I said, did I say it or you decided to say it to stop IVF treatment? And yeah, then you got you, pregnant. I said, if you stop, you're going to be pregnant within three months. Didn't yeah, I? You said, and it's so funny because We'd done, we'd been doing, um, cause I had amnorrhea, which just meant I didn't get a period. So like I went, I'd been on the pill for like most of us for, you know, 15, 20 years and went off the pill. And for about a year, everyone's like, Oh, take a vacation, whatever. And then I wanted, you know, my baby now. And so I went to Western medicine clinic and we did five rounds of IUI And then it was basically my body was just, I was bruised. I was fat. I was tired. I was not myself. I literally, I have zero energy. I mean, friends would be in town from New York city and I I wouldn't have energy to go meet them for lunch, which is just so funny now that I have like two kids and it's like, you know, going to lunch is like a luxury. Um, but yeah. So, and then, um, it was basically like a f- sort of financial and also just emotional. It was like around the holidays and you're like, Meg, stop, like give your body a rest. And then I actually got a period, like my first period that was not hormonally induced and actually came. And the doctor said, Oh, that's just residual hormones. Your body's not working. And you said, give it three months. And even my husband was like, are you sure, Meg? Like, let's just roll into this IVF. And I was like, no, give it three months. And then, I mean, April was when I got pregnant. Yeah, they told me that. They're like, tell her. And it's so scary when I hear these things, because with some people, I'm like, no, you're like, I I can hear they're not going to get pregnant, you know, like, or, you know, and I try to tell them the way I can, or I can, my, I guess my, my goal is to get past people's ignorance Mm-hmm. everybody's ignorant. We all are ignorant. I've been ignorant. I love, but I love taking past my, I love getting past my conditioning. I'm like, Oh, there's another yeah. route. Like I love it. So when you can never insult me about that kind of stuff and either with you either. So that's why you can, you change and you grow is because if I say something like Meg, go with this, it's so yeah. scary, but it's, it's, usually doing the opposite 
in most everything I see with anybody, like if you write with the right hand and you start writing with the left hand, or you always walk on the left side of the road, you start writing on walking on the right side of the road. If you like to do things and always change, and then you stop Mm -hmm. changing, that is what does the most for humans. Mm -hmm. So if a friend's dating, I don't, this is, I don't know how it's going to tie in, but like a friend's dating the wrong guy, I'll be like, did it work the last 20 times? And they're like, no. And I'm like, so why don't we try something new? And it's like, I think that should be my new book. The newest one, next one is like, try to write with the other hand. It's like the simplest thing, but humans can't get out of. Yeah. I, I, because I feel, and especially for me, because I think about, you know, I, I got a random email from a classmate from college who I didn't really know, but she was also an athlete and now she's running for Congress and I'm on like some sort of donor list. And so she reached out and I just think about how I am literally an entirely different human being than I was at 22. And now that I'm almost 42 and I know I'm sure a lot of people say that, but it's like, no, literally my entire world and life and day-to-day mindset is different And sometimes when I run in, because I find that for me, it's very triggering when people complain about the same shit different day and don't change. Like, oh, I really want to quit smoking. Then quit smoking. You know what I mean? Like, don't just keep talking about how much you want to quit. Take an action. Take a step. Like, Like, make, like change who you are. And I just feel like, and I don't know if it's, just the way society is where it's just sort of like talking about wanting to change and actually fundamentally changing are two very different things. And not many people are able to do, I believe what you and I have done, which is literally change. I mean, I woke up and did not know how to function without binging and purging through my day. Or people can just accept that they smoke. Like I have a friend, she's a raging alcoholic and she just, I tell her like, you really need to, it's not really about the guy. It's not about the apartment. It's not about the job. It's really, the problem is, is you're a raging alcoholic. And she's like, well, I don't want to change that. I'm completely fine with that. And I'm like, okay, then you have to be okay. And I love that. I love that. She just, okay, great. You know, yeah, no, you're right. she's still a great friend. I mean, I don't know if she's the greatest friend to me, as she could have be, but right. I accept that. I'm like, okay, I love that she just owns it. Like she's like, I may die with yeah. this, and but I'm gonna die partying, you know? Yeah. And and but I oh, wish that's interesting. Yeah, and, and that's fine. And smoking or you're choosing and you're but don't but one thing around it is don't she plays victim with other parts of her life. As, uh, so rather than playing victim with what the alcohol and, and seeing that the alcohol is the issue, she'll be like, the guy's the issue, but it's really the alcohol underneath it that's playing. So she creates a, a victimhood and like mm-hmm. I've talked about victimhood and manipulation in my last, one of my last podcasts is like the biggest negative for women and yeah. victim. And, and, and actually it's, a, it, it ties it exactly into hurting yourself. And Abdi taught me this, that women will be the first to cut themselves and to say, look, I'm bleeding. Help, help, I'm bleeding, right? It's like they cut themselves just so somebody will bandage them. Yeah. And it's and so when you can see that about yourself, 
And maybe the binging and eating is quiet, but it's probably not quiet in the rest of your life. You know? And so if anyone's going through this, I don't know, I guess the first step is like admitting that it's an issue. Right. Admitting that like maybe what you're doing is not normal. And then it's the small steps like Maslow's hierarchy for mystical motherhood of like getting up and making your food on a Sunday for the rest of the week. It's like the tiniest things and having a team that helps you. You have to have a therapist. You need to, you may need to go get help for it. You may, you know, you, you need constant people to help. You can't do anything like that alone. Do you agree? No. Oh, I completely agree. And I think you're right. Cause I think for me, and it's funny because I mean, obviously we're not going to delve into my, my parents, but within a week of finally becoming bulimic, because for me, I think I tried many times to make myself vomit and it just didn't work. And then it finally worked. And my first successful binge and purge was on a box of Lindora protein bars. You know, Lindora, it's like a diet center. Yeah. Um, I was like, that's the worst binge ever. Like protein bars, like diet. Anyway, sorry. But my point is um, within a week of that happening, I raised my hand to my parents. I'm like, I'm a victim. I'm making myself throw up. And because I thought I needed them to save me. It was like almost like a manipulation tactic. Um, Well, it clearly was. But I think for me, I always knew it wasn't going to last. Like I knew I couldn't live like this for the rest of my life. But it was sort of just a way to manage my current existence. Um, and I think for me, what finally happened is after I graduated and I was sort of like living on my own, working sort of all these things, I realized that it was a problem. I couldn't control it. Like I used to be able to control it where like if I went to like a group dinner or something, I used to be able to just like eat a salad and wait until later. And it got to the point where I couldn't control it when I wanted to. And so I think that for me was my wake up call of, I need help. Um, and I knew I couldn't do it alone. And I knew, I knew I needed more than just like a weekly therapist appointment. And that's when I had the fortune to like immerse myself in uh, like a sober living house type environment um, that was focused for women with eating disorders. But as we know, addiction is addiction and it comes a lot of people, a lot of people I have met who have been addicted to different substances, alcohol, cocaine, et cetera. They say it's quote unquote easy to strip away the substances and they go to the AA meetings, they go to the NA meetings, but then what often is underlying that is the food addiction, whether it's anorexia or bulimia or overeating. And food isn't something you can just cut out of your life. It's it's a science and you really have to, I mean, it takes a while, but you really, it's like a baby. It's like learning to walk again or something. Like it's literally like learning how to not only listen to your body, but how to fuel your body and how to understand what your what's your body telling you something versus what's the sort of old tape in your head that's playing. Um, so for me, it just was when I was unable to control it, um, when I'm just like, I, I need help. And it takes, and if no one teaches you how to cook when you're younger, 
Well, I mean, we can teach our children, but yeah, no one taught me how to cook. No one taught me how to cook. I remember being like, what the heck? And then I learned from my ex-mother-in-law and I'm really good at it now, you know, but it took, it took me like the same as an, I had to educate myself and now I'm learning. I'm still learning. Okay. When I was like learning first, learning just to eat healthy, right? All the Mm -hmm. time, like feed my body, feed my kids and love myself in these ways. And then you overcompensate and then you're learning to, you know, eat too many carbs because you're like, you deserve it. Right. right. And then, and then too much wine because why not? Everyone else is doing it. Right. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute, maybe protein. And then I think this orthorexia stuff where oh, right. all these women, when you go and you're in LA or you're in New York and they're like, I am gluten free. I am dairy free. I am, oh my gosh. I'm like, okay, okay. Organic. And yeah. then I'm like, should I be? Should I be? You know, because that looks so cool. It's not yeah. cool. I can't, I, you know, it's, it's right. Th- then there's overcompensating from that. And then you have to learn what protein is and all these different things, but it's just like going back to the, just the beginnings. And I feel like when you go up the ladder of self actualization, just uh-huh. like you go up the chakras you and just like through alchemy, you're always going through the alchemical process and you, and that's what Celestine star taught me before she died so much but she taught me you know the and I've written book a book on it on alchemy it's a continual process of becoming gold and then you go back and you refine yourself and you refine yourself and you refine yourself and I do Uh believe that each pregnancy brings a new like healing new each baby brings something amazing to the couple or to the baby and yeah. particularly around healing. And so if that was yours was, you know, food, what yeah. a blessing. Because now you're out of it and you're on a whole. And when you say your life is different than when you were 22, I went to her wedding. It was incredible. But you really did. Change. I mean, you don't even have your family around now. Like, right. And that was when I was 32. Like, yeah. different. No, you guys, if you are a rhythm with your family in the same town that you grew up in, your life isn't that different. Right. It isn't. And most people are so conditioned, which is fine. That's not, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing like, that's great. We, I just was forced to change everything about my life because I was forced to. Right. And I chose to. Um, so how do you, I guess the question is, I don't even know. What I'm just, We're talking about so much. I know. Well, I think, I mean, that is true. It's like, I think about, cause we just had our wedding anniversary. Um, and you're right. And it's so funny because I told myself, and this is the power of, of right. The, it's whatever you say or put into the universe, you get more back. And leading up to the wedding, I kept saying, I don't want a huge wedding. I don't want to spend a year planning it. I don't want to go on a massive diet. So I keep, uh, so, so I look at my wedding pictures and think, oh, I used to be so skinny. I would say, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want. And then I had a 14 month engagement with eight bridal showers, eight bridal showers, Chelsea. That is seven too many, if not eight too many. A weekend long bachelorette party, which I remember feeling awful about afterwards. And I just felt like for me, my wedding was almost like the beginning of the end of my relationship with my parents because it's like, you know, it, 
I mean, it was a fun party and Ivan and I love each other and that is what is important, but everything else was just all smoke and mirrors and all anxiety producing. And at the time I was, you know, I was relying on Adderall for appetite control and energy. My mom gave me Xanax to like calm my nerves and I was drinking vodka sodas and it's like, and that's not a recipe one for a healthy person, let alone for a person who's going to try and grow another human being inside of them. And it's not sustainable, but it was always these like short term fixes as opposed to like, what's going to work long term. And, and that's where again, and I guess for me, it's been a really long process, but I also had a lot of darkness and, and, negativity to work through and and you did yeah so when somebody calls you at Nita which was the point of all of this like what do you tell them when you're healing like so now that you've been through this and this is your past and you've learned to connect to your body because you're not overworked or exercising right now you're eating healthy you're you're just totally good yeah. right like I'm just being me it's like, like you came to New York to... we ate at whatever we wanted to yeah. we drank when we wanted but not like crazy actually right and it was just fine I don't even think we worked out for the whole weekend like I mean no, we like, didn't. and you in the past would have been like we have to go on a run in Central Park so yeah. tell me like how you tell people what do you say what's the first thing you say well I mean to be honest because of the liability and because I'm not a licensed therapist, I can't really give direct advice. And the irony too, just for the purpose is the the hotline had to be shut down. So it's, but you can still go to their website and they have all the same resources, but basically I'd say the most common, the most common thing I would tell people is that recovery is not linear and that having a slip up does not mean you need to go all the way back to zero And having a slip up doesn't mean that there's anything wrong. And that's just kind of part of the process. And I'd also say the most common, the other most common piece of information is tell somebody, talk to somebody, someone who is safe, whether it's a friend, a counselor at school, a teacher at school, some sort of safe person where you can talk about it because secrets are what keep us sick. And especially like a bulimia is a very, very secret disease. And it's a dishonest disease. And there's a lot of lying around it. And so for me, that just perpetuated the anxiety. It's the irony of I was trying to control and manage my anxiety through the bulimia. But yet the bulimia and the actions of the bulimia led to more paranoia and anxiety. Where if a friend or a roommate were mad at me, I'd immediately think, oh, they're mad because they knew I threw up the other day. And then, and then I just create stories in my head. So, so yeah, so I'd say it's, it's recovery is not linear and, and speak to someone about it. And on the NITO website, they have the resources, like they have different scripts of, um, of one, if you're the one suffering, how to sort of open up to a loved one. But then I'd say, I don't know. I guess it's, it was 50, 50, but oftentimes I would get, I would hear from friends 
or loved ones of those who they believe are suffering. Um, Because denial is a big part of the disease as well, especially in this sort of anorexia, orthorexia world, right? Where people can just be like, no, I'm eating healthy, quote, quote, unquote, eating healthy. Um, So I'd say another main thing would be a friend or a loved one just sort of opening up to that person and just letting them know that you're there and you're not going to judge them for it. And you're a safe space for if, and when they're ready to talk about it. You know, it's interesting you say about the lying because until you heal all of the wounds from the past that made you so self-conscious or so out of control to do things like all of these addictions and it goes into, it goes into the seven deadly sins really. Mm -hmm. Um, but until you can see the lie that you're telling yourself, which is ignorance about your childhood or the conditioning you went through, until you can look at that, which most most people don't ever look at it, but, but or some people attack it head on, like, I'm going to heal this. And then right. in the process of healing it, you're going to meet it over and over and over and over again. And it gets transferred to new demons and new addictions and new things like that until you finally just say, oh, I can, I recognize you. I've seen you before. You're not, you know, like, you're not going to make me hurt myself again. Yes. So I went to the, it's so true. Cause it's like, if, if you're lying in one area and you have a persona, you're lying in all areas Mm -hmm. and, and you, and you're the last person to know. And anybody who would tell you, so the people that hold too much pride, you tell them, you may be doing something financially to hurt yourself or you, you know, all these forms of hurting ourselves, financial damage, hurting our bodies, um, making stupid mistakes, having sex with the wrong people. They're all like, ew, you know, but until I guess somebody, you tell somebody, and if you can actually let somebody tell you, or even Mm -hmm. say to God, bring somebody that will tell me the truth, or maybe listen to this podcast. And you're like, wow. And I never thought I had an issue. It's, it's just, then you can drop right. pride and see like there's something wrong with me. I can change and I can drop my persona. And there's a really good book called Integrity. Mm. Write it down. Integrity <laughs> by Martha Beck is when she stopped lying for a year. Now, I don't think I lie about much of anything that I'm conscious of. But you right. gain a lot of power. So like anything you think of occurs or like, I mean, I don't whatever. I don't know what the word is power, but you, everything you want eventually really happens when you stop lying about everything in your life. And once one lie collapses, they all begin to collapse. I feel, I mean, I don't, I don't want to interrupt it. For me, I think some of the biggest lies I told were to my parents and, and sort of the person I became around them was not the authentic me and sort of the, the healthier I got, the harder it was to sort of maintain that, that duality and, and the grosser I felt. And, and then at the first opportunity to sort of just be my authentic self with my parents, it was very clear that they wanted, they had zero interest in, in me being my authentic self. And I now have to say that, 
it really feels uncomfortable because I used to lie all the time. Just the stupidest of lies of like, can you get dinner tonight? No, I can't. My friend's in town, even though I don't have a friend in town. And like, I got caught in lies. Like I was living in New York and I said I had a brunch with like this group of people because I didn't want to go to brunch with this other group of people. I don't know. I just wanted to stay home because I was tired. And instead of just saying, no, I'm tired. I want to stay home. I said, oh, I have something else. And then, you know, two people met up with each other and they found me out. They're like, oh, I asked, I asked so-and-so about the brunch. And she said there was no brunch. And I was, and that's when I was 30. I was 31 years old. I was 10 years into recovery from my eating disorder and unable to just say, no, I'm tired. Thanks though. And this happened to me this past weekend. We had friends who I really enjoy and I really like hanging out with them. And they asked us if we wanted to come over and swim Saturday afternoon. And all of us were, you know, my kids, we were all pretty exhausted. And I just said, you know what, we've had kind of a long week. Um, We're just going to rest and take it easy. And it just feels, it's like, then it's just gone. Whereas if I told a lie, then that paranoia. And then the next time I meet, I see this person, I'd worry. So it is funny how lying begets lying. And, and you know it's, it's even, really not that hard to just be living in your truth. You know, what's more amazing about lying is then you'll, when, when I wasn't living fully in my truth, I had someone in my life that was always lying. And I was projecting that person's always lying. Like, and he was always lying. No, like, but his lies were like blatant. Okay. What the universe was trying to teach me is like, your lies are internal. You're lying about your identities. And okay. we like strip, like, you don't lie about little words or little things you tell about your life or anything like that. But like, you're, and this is what my latest book is about is like, you'll find that everything's a lie everything it's just a story and it and once you find out it's so funny the whole thing is I laughed when I found out like all these identities we hold on of like you know it's all a lie yeah. like I am skinny I am or I am I identify as a beautiful girl and then it's gone I identify identify as you know like a wealthy person and then the wealth is taken away you know I identify as a mother and then you have to go back to work or identify with my career and then the career is taken away and yeah. it's all a lie that's a lie in itself and so if you're having someone in your life that's mirroring it to you that's come in that's come in like my friend that drinks a lot she's always yes. mad because the, there's a guy in her life that's always lying. And she's like, oh, he drives me crazy because he's always telling a lie. And there's little lies. Like, I went to that bar last night and we had a great time. He didn't go to the bar. Like, stupid lies. And I just want to laugh because I see the whole thing. And I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, but she's lying to herself. Right. So if she stopped lying to herself, she wouldn't be so pissed off. Anybody else is lying. She would just be like, oh, it's their persona. She, they have a persona. Yeah. And if that persona dropped, who would she be? And even drinking yeah. alcohol to that extent is a persona. Even even um, needing to be that thin and working out that much or, you know, it's all a persona. Yeah. Not being in your authentic self of like what that is. And it's a constant, I guess, struggle until you get into that balance. The universe will make you unbalanced. Yeah. And I, I feel like what I've noticed um, – what I've noticed sort of, you know, now we're, we're, you know, we've come out of COVID 
And so, and like my daughter, my youngest baby is two. So I'm, I'm really navigating this new world of sort of making new friendships through the school or through the kids. And I find that I'm most drawn to maybe not people who are just like me, but I'm drawn to people who are just not afraid to be themselves. And, and they're not trying to, like, I just had this experience. And I also realized I tell myself stories, like I'm still working on it, but I, I automatically assume that if, if you look, if you look like you're put together and you talk like you're put together, somehow you're a more put together mother than I am. And I make these assumptions and I put sort of strangers on pedestals, which is just like, that's kind of one thing I'm working on right now. And I, I had this experience where, yeah, there was this other mom and I kind of felt uncomfortable because I'm not working right now. And I'm, I'm leaning into just being a stay at home mom because I can be, and I'm enjoying, I'm trying to enjoy this time and embrace it and not necessarily focus on, on something outside of my immediate family. And I immediately, I sort of put this woman on a pedestal and then, you know, I've gotten to know her better, just circumstance, just circumstances and I'm just kind of like all the lies I told myself about her as to why she was better than me don't actually exist. And so, wow, sorry. I realize now I'm like, like lying to myself about other people, which is funny. It's not even about other people lying to me, but. Well, I think what authenticity, what I think we'll circle back. What authenticity is, is you can sit in a room with the other person and accept them for who they are without wanting to change them or make them into who you think they should be. And maybe from your what I'm getting from this friend that you made into this thing is your conditioning from your childhood was everybody had to look a certain way, be a certain way, and act a certain way. So when you find a friend who isn't like that, your inner talk you're, you're, you're balancing your inner world with your outer, like there, there's two things you're, you're going into this new person of like, just being with whoever, because in LA, there's all kinds of fake people, right? So your, your conditioning is still there. So the, the talk in your head is just the child that you, you know, the conditioning of the child, not the person who you are, the truth of who they are. So when I would like, if that ever happens again, and you're, wanting to create someone to be who they are not, which everybody does it. Anybody who's listening is like, I've never done that. Oh, you have. I used to do it when I was dating. Oh my gosh, that man was my husband. And I'm like, and then I'm like, no, he's not. No, he's not. It's rose colored glass. We all do it. And we do it as a coping skill. And it's a coping skill from childhood that you learn to be able to tolerate abuse. And so you're, okay. you're transferring it to new people now and you're seeing it through the, um, rather than seeing it through your, like, this is my mom or this is my dad. You're seeing it through a girlfriend and you're like, what the F am I doing transferring it to some girl? Well, what the F are you doing it transferring it to anybody else? You know, it's a coping mechanism that you created in childhood that made you be able to survive in an environment that wasn't safe. So you would change the narrative within your head to say that this person's actually just like this and I'm safe now. So it has nothing to do with the person that you're talking about right now. All you have to, to look at that situation with that great example of that woman, which you thought didn't matter, but it does. Right. I can always show you how it does, right? Mm-hmm. And you can say, thank you, Lord. 
thank you so much for showing me another conditioning and another way that I can see the truth. Oh, it does. It makes so much sense. It does. It yes, really does. Yeah. You have to cope anymore. She's no. not dangerous. So you, no. she's not dangerous. So you were able to laugh at yourself to see how you made up a lie about her just to know in this moment right now that you created that throughout your whole life to survive, but you're not in survival now. Isn't that cool? Yes. Blows my that. mind. Shit blows my you mind. Blow my mind. <laughs> I don't know. I think I have a gift of seeing patterns. I do. Yeah. I think that's my gift. In um, my husband's Christian, which I'm going to get him on the podcast because he's like, I want to be on your podcast. And I was like, okay. Oh, be so cute. <laughs> I so love it. I want to listen to that one for sure. But I've been learning in Christianity. It's like just really good values. But one of the val- one of the things they talk about is like everybody has a gift. And it's this, and it's the gift that God gave you that you need to give away. And so some people's gifts is like the gift of parties or, you know, the, and yours is the gift of like having a lot of friends and, and holding space and your wedding is an example of that, right? So you don't have to look at your gift as like, oh my gosh, I had seven parties for my bachelor party. You just have a lot of friends, you know, and you... And and I I I had to cut out a lot of friends, but I had a lot of friends too. So that's why we're friends, you know. But once you know your gift, my gift is writing, and my gift is breaking things down into a narrative pattern. So once you know your gift, focus on your strengths. That's okay. one thing Abdi taught me over and over and over again. Is people are always back back. I'm going to circle it back from what we spoke at spoke at in the beginning. Is we were talking about like focusing on our negative things, like our weight, on bulimia, on all, all of our, you know, addictions, on smoking. Okay, if you smoke, just don't focus on it. Actually, do the opposite, unless it's really hurting you. Re- I mean, it's all really hurting you, but it you by focusing on it, you're not going to give it up until you get help and other people can help you focus on it. But focus on your strengths. And then when you focus on your strengths those things that are your negatives will begin to fall away because you're so become so powerful in the strengths and the love you have for those. Do you agree? Yeah. And that's why yeah. I, mean, I don't think Kundalini healed or Kundalini yoga healed anything. I think that I, I changed the focus. Uh-huh. My focus changed my intention and attention was put on something different than food, than destruction, than, um, time to hurt myself. And I didn't have the time anymore to do those things because my focus was on something different. Now I had to give that up too. It became another form of an addiction. So just be prepared if when you begin to focus on something else, don't take it up as another thing. Right. Get a doctor in it, a doctorate in it, which I did. Right. No, it's, I mean, it's funny because I feel that way. I felt like the, um, when I was deep in the Kundalini stuff, it almost fed my, I don't know, my, you know, my coping mechanism of like, if I, if I didn't wake up and I didn't do the like 15 minute meditation that day, or if I, if I missed something or like, you know, I would go to like a class and they would talk about how for the next three weeks, we should only eat foods that start with a P and like, I'd be like, I'm not good enough because I can't do something like that. And it almost, so it's like, I mean, it was, it, it is great. And it was great 
for what I needed in the moment, but it stopped serving me when it started becoming sort of another reason to beat myself up and another reason to sort of tell myself that I'm not good enough. I'm not doing it the best. And almost like that control. Yeah. You have to do it in moderation for sure. And if you don't know what moderation is, and you were bulimic or you were, you did have a traumatic environment or you had all these things, you'll take up something like that or anything and it becomes the new addiction. So you have to okay. see that in yourself of this may be the, it, it is, I, in another, another podcast, I said, it's like the poison and the medicine, but you, once you become highly, but at least it clears you out enough that you can say, whoa, what, and it, this is another mental thing. It's not getting me into being being the feminine nature of really not needing absolutely anything, which is your true authenticity of not needing anything and and being comfortable with whoever the person is in the room, them being who they are and you being who you are and not needing to change anybody to make anybody comfortable. Yeah. And that goes for your own household right now. I'm not needing to make everyone comfortable around you because you're in any discomfort. So you get so right. comfortable in your own body that you're just like, you sit with my discomfort or you can be in my comfort right now. And you tell the truth about that. That really resonates where I'm, you know, yeah, I feel like I, my sort of comfort level is to make sure everyone else around me is comfortable often at the expense of my own. Right, which is a tangent from the bulimia, which is a tangent there. You know, I went to a Lacey Phillips, I guess, conference day last weekend, and -hmm. there were 600 women in there. I think I've told people on this podcast, I'm a huge fan of Lacey Phillips. And I, she triggered me in the beginning because she had something that I needed to learn. Anyone who triggers you go to them because they're teaching you something. They're your medicine woman. And so that if you're triggered by any friend, usually just like go into what the, you know, unless they're toxic, go into the thing and see why. Um, yeah. She explained there's three types of manifestors. There's one, the, the first is the dreamer and the dreamer creates by, you know, dreaming ahead of these big projects and these big things. And I was the dreamer. The second person is the discerner and the discerner is it, it, she, that person says no really quickly. Her world gets really small because she's protecting herself and her ego is like, if it's not like this, if it doesn't look like this, I'm not going to say yes to it. Right. Huh? And so a lot of people who were overgivers become discerners. And then there's the third and it's the, I think it's like the empathizer and the empathizer is the person who says, I will hurt myself for you to love me. I will reject my needs for you to accept and love me. And I'll do anything to make the environment comfortable so that everybody is just come, you know, just every, and and this is what she would get into finding your blind spot of creating the life you want and how effing accurate are those things. Now I'm breaking it down into like two minutes, which, which was like an hour of that. But I was like, I'm the dreamer. I was the dreamer. Then I created everything. And then I became the empathizer. And that is my weak spot. And, and it's like, you think that's your strength of like making sure like the, the, the meals are perfect. Your hair looks good. Like 
shits together, right? But the empathizer mm-hmm. cares about other people to the point that they would hurt themselves and sacrifice themselves over someone else. And you'll right. get tested in that area because that's the area that's holding you back from the biggest dreams that you have to manifest on this earth. Okay. And it really goes into bulimia, the empathizer. Yeah. Like I reject myself to accept you. Yeah. And it's happening in your life right now. I know. I, I know. Reject this myself is... to to accept you, and I I cross boundaries are crossed consistently so that you'll love me. Yeah. Whoa. Below your mind. I know. This is very, you know. Oh. You guys who are listening, these are the conversations that we have on the telephone as friends. <laughs> they really are. It's so, kind of amazing. Yeah. So like I, I said, so lucky. On the phone today, I was like, can we do a podcast? And she's like, yeah. But sometimes oh. you're blowing my mind. Like sometimes I'm like, oh, crap. That's so true. Like that's why I love. So it's like I wish sometimes with my friends that we could um, record all of our, sometimes these conversations I we have are like, whoa, that should have been recorded, you know? I know. I'm so glad we got this one. I know. Thank you. Yeah. I feel this is just, again, like most things with you, it's, it's exactly what I needed, exactly when I needed it. And, you know, I just, I love you. You know, I was thinking like, I saw future event, events where like, I see a lot of women I've been seeing them more and more now, like they're going to start happening. And I, I want them to be like this. Like I want them, I see, I'm envisioning them. I know what they're going to be like. And you know how people wait to speak and they wait to, to come out on a stage. And yeah. I was, I saw myself in a vision and I came out like 40 minutes early and I just hung out with everybody. And I saw it as real as it was like happening. Like I just sat in the audience and I did it like it, I did it the opposite way. Like I, I crossed on the other side of the road or what we were talking right. about, like a new way of connecting. And I don't know why I'm talking about that, but I see it happening. And it's like this where conversations are bouncing and people have these aha moments of like, where you feel like you have a friend in the room. That's what's going to happen next. I love that. Yeah. I can I can see that. And it is, it's different. You're not coming on stage with a prepared speech to perform, to make everyone think that you are a certain way. You're just coming on as yourself to connect with others. Yeah. Authentically. Yeah. If it ever happens, it's going to happen like that. It's going to happen. Hey, I love you. I love you too.